everyone and welcome back to another episode of Sporting Roots. Today on the podcast we were joined by the wonderful Graham Cool, who has an incredibly inspirational story to share with us all. If you've never heard of Graham, he has quite the story that we are going to delve into, but here are some of the highlights. Graham was previously a competitive fencer for Scotland and trained to go to the 1986 Commonwealth Games. He was British fencing champ from when he was 13 to when he was 21 years old. He started his own business at the age of 19 and slowly that took the place of sport in his life. He then entered his first triathlon in 1998 and made the move up to Ironman in 2002. Since 2002, Graham has completed over 30 Ironman events and went to Kona in 2012 as part of the Legacy Programme. Graham's now a level two coach and also a certified Ironman coach and coaches for UCAN Sport and Sterling Triathlon Club where he is president. He's also regularly spotted announcing at events all across the UK including the Keswick Mountain Festival. So that was a very brief overview of what we're going to delve into today but make sure you stay tuned to hear the rest of Graham's sporting roots. As per usual we are going to start with our three quick questions. So the three quick questions for today. Number one, what is your go-to race day breakfast? Oh no. In the olden days it was something completely different. Um, nowadays I'm kind of a bit more a bit more conventional. So it's a, a porridge pot, probably two to be fair, one of the great big ones. Um, honey on top of that, a banana, a decaf coffee because I'm wired enough as it is. And then some fresh orange juice to make my bum twitch like a rabbit's nose because I've got to go to the toilet before I start any event. If that doesn't happen, it's a disaster. As anybody who trains with me knows that five minutes in, I need to go to behind a bush somewhere, unfortunately. That's quite the breakfast spread. You said that it's changed. So what did it used to be? Um, probably steak and chips, bacon roll, full fried, four cans of tenants if it was with Alan Finlay. Whole shebang. Yeah, the whole shebang. Yeah. To be fair, I always remember this is what just I'm going to digress. I always remember Alan doing Highland Cross. I think it was maybe one of his fastest times. And away with his blooming brother, he had too many cansy tenants or pincy tenants. And he came back and he did the best race of his life. Um, I take the leaf out of Alan's book now. I like it. What is your funniest racing memory if you can pick one? Oh, it has to be the white shorts in Barcelona. It has to be the white shorts. So um, it was in, I can't remember when it was actually, uh, it was at least 10 years ago when you you could maybe get away with wearing white shorts. But when you're an older guy with grey hair, a bit of a belly, you should never, ever wear white shorts. The only two people I know that can wear white shorts is John Lafferty because he's got legs like a Greek god, right? Um, and Cipollini, who's a, for those younger members here, he's a, a fantastic cyclist who had um, very mahogany legs. So I decided I was going to do this um, a, a race. So I set off on the bike, get, get into transitioning. You always put these pockets in the back of your trousers and things. I decided to put a banana in the back of my, my, my nice white shorts, a little pocket at the back. So I stuck a banana in there. Off I go on the run, the cycle. Um, my first target was trying to cast Alistair Abbott, which I did because we're in different waves. Um, and then I got the dreaded. It's the first time and it's the last time I've ever raced with uh, tubs. So that's t- wheels or tires that don't have an inner tube. So I get a puncture. Uh, 
and there is no way of getting back on the course until the race is completely finished to get back. So I'm frantically trying to get the tyre and things off, couldn't get the tyre off. So eventually somebody says, what you can do is there's a railway station just down the street. Why don't you go to the railway station? Now, this is in broken English. So it's, it's in Barcelona uh, or Cayella, just outside Barcelona. So I go, OK, we'll go down to the railway station. And of course, I've not got any money. So I've got to try and get myself, my bike with my cleats on the wrong way around, white shorts, sweat lashing off me and a banana in my back of my trousers, trying to get that through the, um, the sort of... Uh, the crash spider things at the front. I couldn't get through. A Spanish guy came and helped me, lift the bike over, got me through. And then it was, the station was fairly busy. And I couldn't understand where everybody was stepping away from me. I have no idea that I got on the train, same thing happens. I'm, I'm sort of turning around, I'm looking around. And, and obviously what it looked like, it looked like I'd shot myself. I looked later on and I had this big brown right the way down, right where excuse the friend, the star of David is, it just looked like I had done something I shouldn't have done. Um, and I think that's one of the funniest moments. And I actually eventually got back to transition. Um, I was first into transition because I came in a train. Um, the crowd's going wild for me. <laughs> I'm trying to tell people, no, 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 no. And it's a big race. It's like an Ironman style event. It's a challenge event. I'm saying, no, no, no. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm not in the race anymore. Um, I spoke to the head referee, who was a female, who said, look, it's not a problem. If you want to finish the run, off you go. So I goes, look, can I wait till the pros come in? She says, well, wait till the top three pros come in and you can go off onto the race. So I'm waiting on the three, first three pros coming in. Um, and then the, the second sort of deputy head, the deputy referee, he fully rugby tackles me, like the full thing, bangs into me, takes me to the ground and says, you can't, you're out of the race, you're not allowed to race. Um, so I, you know, I said, look, I'm in the event. The head referee said it's okay. So I got to go out in the course. I caught the second and third place on the run. So I'm second in second place in an Ironman event in Barcelona. Um, and it's just one of the most amazing memories I've actually. I now realise what it's like to be at the front of a race and everybody eventually starting to come past you. As I decided that you know I'm not as good as I thought I was. Um, so that's the funniest moment I've got. And, and to be fair, I think it's the funniest moment I've got in any form of sporting thing I've ever done other than the skate park um, incident, which is for another day. Well, it's quite the story. I mean, that you really couldn't make that up. You couldn't make that up. <laughs> the shorts are never allowed to be worn now. I'm really not surprised. <laughs> um, the last of our quick fire questions is, where in the world is your favourite place to race? Uh, Bay in Wales. It's a fantastic event. The crowds are huge. I've got great memories um, from the event itself. So I would say Tenby, beautiful beaches. You don't have to go to great big warm climates or go, you know, huge journeys to get, um, you know, a great, a great race experience and a great venue. So for me, it would be Tenby in, in Wales. Okay. So let's get cracking on your journey as an athlete and then after that we'll get into your coaching story as well yep. so can you talk us through your earliest kind of childhood memories of sport were you always involved in sport at school um my first my first my, i was thinking about this earlier actually my first genuine sporting memory is muhammad ali um, and I, I was looking back actually it was, I was so happy to be muhammad ali and joe frazier's first fight and it must be 1971, 1972, something like that. That's my, my youngest sort of uh, memory 
Um, and I've always loved uh, boxing. I just love the history in boxing um, and just the the brutality and the basic um, skills and physical um, elements of boxing. Um, so, and I did actually box when I was when I was a kid um, from about eight until I was about twelve. Uh, boxed. Um, I've tried pretty much everything to be honest. Um, I like the discipline of boxing. Um, so that's probably my youngest memory of um, a, a sporting person. Um, going to boxing training, as used to, my dad was a prison officer um, and we stayed in Blantyre for a while and it was a very good boxing club um, at the Hoover factory. Um, so I went along to the, the Hoover factory and you know, you learn to skip, you learn some basic disciplines, you learn how to do a load of circuit training and that kind of thing. As a young guy, I just absolutely loved it. Um, and I guess it was the, I think it's really the discipline that I liked as well. You were a harem scaring young lad. Um, you know, I wasn't going to say I was a bad kid or anything. I've never really got any any trouble, but I'd always, uh, you know, I knew I always answered back. You didn't you know when to keep your, your mouth shut. Probably no change a bit since then. then eh? Um so that was probably the, the youngest thing. And then I moved, when we moved back to, to Bonnybridge, where the, the bulk of my, my, my school days was 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 based. Um, and I my brother went fencing when I was at primary school. He started going to fencing at high school. Um, and I was just something about it. I loved, I don't know what it was. Um, some of the training they did, they did a lot of circuit style training. I love it. It wasn't, it wasn't dissimilar to what you did at boxing. So they did a lot of skipping, fast footwork, had to get out of the way. Um, so I think I just I was kind of resonated with that with that sport. So um, fencing was my main thing, but I, I did football badly. I did rugby. I did cross country badly. Um, I was quite heavy. Well, I thought I was a, a chubby kid, as as you know, but it never held me back. To be fair, I never used it, viewed it as a you know some people step away from sport because they're a wee bit overweight. Perhaps I never I was never like that. Um, I just embraced you know being around people. Um, but at school, what I had when I was at school was, and it's not the same now as PE teachers, um, most of them had came from sport. And one of the guys we had was a professional basketball player, had been one. Uh, another one was a rugby player, played for Scotland. Another one had been a professional footballer. And these guys were gods to us. I mean, they're absolute gods. What they could do with the different sports that, that, that they did and the passion that they had for it was infectious. Um, I think that's probably a thing for me from a you know from a from a, my, my childhood thing is that you know teachers showed me if you've got a passion for something then you know you can do well. That must have been quite inspirational having PE teachers that had performed to such high levels. Do you think that had an impact on the kids that they were teaching yeah. and like getting yeah. them into Absolutely. Sport? Absolutely. I know a number and there'll be a number of people my age, so I'm fifty-six. The only number of people my age, maybe slightly older, maybe slightly younger, we probably had teachers that were similar to that. And I'm just talking about sport. You've got it in other academia and things. I get that. But from a sporting perspective, I think I think a lot of us our age had that. They taught you to win and lose. They taught you how to train. Um, there was different disciplines and things there. They showed passion for what they did. They shared it with other people. You know, so I'll definitely say that I learned a lot from you know, from, from those PE teachers. And certainly from a business point of view, I know a number of people in my year at school and just below me who became very, I mean, there's, and I went to Denny High School, I had no right to do well at anything. You know, when it was a conventional, comprehensive school, you were kind of forgotten about, you know, there was, 
it was a typical teachers could relate to 10% of the, of the classes because, you know, they were 10% of their class. It was that typical kind of system. Um, but PE teachers and some other, some other teachers as well at different things. I know some people did well at dancing and things. They're going to, going to become pretty successful, but it's all sort of sport related. So definitely for me, the, the, I could resonate with, with those PE teachers. So for me, growing up, um, you know, they were, they were guys I looked up to. And you got into fencing. You said you, was that because your brother started going along to sessions? So you just went along with him or? Yeah, it was just, that's all it was, was just my brother was going along. It was an introduction to high school. My brother's going to a club. I want to go to a club. What club do you go to? I go to fencing. Can I come with you? Um, our ages are fairly close. There's not a big difference in our age. Our ages are, are, are maybe how we act and things are slightly different, but um back then it was you know i just wanted to do what my brother did my big brother's doing this can i do it as well um so i started going along to fencing um and i just i really just got on again it was back to it was a teacher it was an english teacher called piers jones his name was um, he stayed in sterling um and he was just another guy who had a real passion for what he did and he shared it with you know with with everybody um so from my point of view Everything that I've, you know, from a young, from a young age, it was always something to do with sport that's motivated me or inspired me to do whatever I've, whatever I've done next. Um, it's not been, you know, academia or being clever at school or, or things like that. Um, I did better when I left school than I did when I was at school. So sport's been like a very big part of your life. It's kind of been what's formed you as a person, you say? Yeah, I would say that's true. Yeah. So you went along to these fencing sessions with your brother because your brother was going. Yep. You ended up being British champion from the age of 13 to 21. Yep. Can you please talk us through the progression of, I'm just going to go along to fencing, see what it's like to it's become just, British champ for so long? Yeah, I think what it is is when you can be British champ at those things, it's when you move to senior level, it changes. So what you're looking at is you're still looking at that um, under 21 kind of age profile is really what you're looking at. And I can talk about when we when you step up to the senior levels, it, it completely changes and mindset changes as well. Um, but from a from a young age, it was just when it's a minority sport. So let's keep it in perspective. It's a minority sport, but you still got to get to the top of your minority sport. I mean, tennis in the UK is not a a, a massive sport, but you've still got Andy, you know, Andy Murray, who's got to the very top of it. So and you still need to be very very good to get to the top. So I was just very fortunate that. Um, I had somebody who, from a coaching perspective, was very good and engaging. And as I got better, I moved to other coaches who, believe it or not, there's people who are professors of fencing. Who knew? Um, but And it's not until after the event, I realized that what, what the coaches I was being coached by, they were national coaches and who were coaching Olympians. And I never knew that. I was too young to understand. I'm just going along. I fence people. I beat them. I move on. I win a trophy. I go to the next one. I beat you. And I don't care. As the ages were going up, I was beating people when I was 14 who were, who were you know, on Olympic programs. Um, but I didn't, it's not until you look back that you realise that at the time, I had no idea. Um, my parents weren't, um, they were always loving and supportive, but they were always working. I mean, it was just that age when you were kids. Your parents did the very best for you, but they couldn't come to events and things like that. Um, so it was really just a, it's probably it's not any different than doing it's probably very similar to what you've got with triathlon Scotland now you know with the different um, you know with the different categories you've got with juniors coming through 
and coming through the ranks. It's very, it was very similar to that. Um, where where things I found, and I think this, I was thinking about this earlier. This is this is a sport thing, and it was certainly there when I was younger as well. Is that it's very difficult if you come from a working class environment to move from, you know, a, a school environment to a working environment and keep top level sport going. Most people nowadays, what they do is they go to um, they go to university, um, they maybe go to America, get a scholarship, they do something that allows them to to still earn a living, um, but whilst they you know they, they can go on with their sport. When when I was younger, you just that, that opportunity just was not there. Um, so what I would say is I got to a point where you go into the the, the Commonwealth Games um, squad. It wasn't you're not in the top. It's you that's going, and it's you that's going. One of my best friends who I trained with, he went to the Olymp he went to the, the Commonwealth Games, and one a guy called Donnie McKenzie, who is um, somebody I really talked to as a youngster, he went to the 1988 and the 1992 Olympics, um, and he was somebody that you know you, you were training with at Meadowbank. I was I was travelling from school in Denny to Edinburgh three times a week. I had, a, I had a milk round and a milk round in the morning, started at six o'clock, finished the milk round, went to school, finished school, half past three, four o'clock, got a bus to Falkirk, got a train for Falkirk into Edinburgh, trained in Edinburgh, got a train back and somehow managed to get back home again. Um, if my dad was working late, he would come and pick me up. Um, you know, there were, there, were, there were brilliant days to be fair. And so you mentioned there that like now, people who are quite heavily involved in sport, like they go to uni or they get a scholarship to prolong their <clears throat> kind of sporting career. And you said that wasn't really an option when you were younger. Yep. Were you supported by anyone other than your family? Like, was there institute support available or a governing body? Oh, there, there, there wasn't, there wasn't, that just didn't exist back then. I mean, sport, sport, um, it was, it was purely amateur. If people were going to the Olympics and things when we were younger, it was you were still an amateur. You know, you you, you may have been lucky you got something out of it. Um, I remember that the, the garage that I worked at or served in an apprenticeship as an auto electrician. Um, they gave me sponsorship. Um, I can't let's say it was 50, 25 quid or a hundred pounds or something. It was just so insignificant, but it was it meant a lot to me. Um it, it would have got me to an event somewhere. Um, or something, but that would have been it. It would have been any any more than that. And it was the same with, um, you know, the, the guy, there's a guy called uh, Mark Donaldson who I, I grew up with and we trained together, another guy called David Hare. The three of us were, it's probably a bit like Alan Finlay and I, to be fair, when we, you push each other, you need somebody to keep pressing and pushing you on. I had that when I was younger. Um, and I think that environment, that, I'm better at you at this at this discipline. So there's three disciplines in fencing. There's foil, saber, and epi. Um, you know, we try to compete with each other, and eventually realise that actually you're better at this than I am, and I'm better at this weapon. So you know, you kind of develop, but we pushed each other constantly. Um, and the two of them, Mark went to university. Very one of very few people from Denny at my age who went to university. He went on to be a dentist, and he's got a very very big business now. Um, he's got a number of uh, practices. Um, David, when he was same as me, um, you had to get a job. Um, you had no choice. I, I, I couldn't afford to go into 
to that sport on a on a on a full time basis. And I just move my passion from fencing and try to do the best I could there into business and try to do the best I could with what I had in business. And you obviously had a lot of passion and it sounds like you were very competitive. So is the business the reason you left sport because you had to move on from yeah. filming sport? Yeah, absolutely. And it's interesting, folk have said, why do you go back? Because I don't want to go back. I want to go back at the top. I don't want to go back at the bottom. You know, it's, it's, it's that simple. Do you think if you had had more support available, you would have stayed in the sport? I don't know. I want to say I would, I would be, I'd be wrong to say yes or no. I would expect that um, if I could, if I had the benefit of hindsight, then, then probably. But what I would have to say, the journey that I've been on, I don't regret a minute of it. And I am where I am now with different people and different sports. And, you know, I, I would, no, I wouldn't, I wouldn't change what I've done. If that's the kind of the ultimate question. So you went into business. You started your own business. Mm. Tell us a bit about that. Where did you go from there? I started my first business when most of it started as homers. Um, so doing jobs on the side. Um, you know, and you, I got to a point where I was, you know, I was working. I got to the point where I said, if if I work for more than two full days without sleep, then I need to make a decision. Um, and I was doing that regularly. Um, so I decided, well, okay, I can get enough money working on my own through homers and things to take a step away from where I was working, which I loved. I loved where I worked. I got on really well with the people um, and started on my own. And that was a huge, huge step. I always remember, you know, going in and handing my notice in um, as a young boy when I just finished the apprenticeship and starting on your own. I'd have been... 1920. Um, that is a huge step to take when um, you know you're living with your parents at the time, and you know. Um, then I bought a flat when I was 18 with uh, with Jill before we got married. We got married when we were in our 20s, but we bought a flat. We didn't live together, but we just decided to buy a flat, um, a brand new one because we liked the look of it. Um, and uh, yeah. So. You mentioned there that you knew when you were going two days without sleep that you maybe needed to change something. Mm -hmm. And you eventually got burnt out mm -hmm. at the age of around 28? 28, 29, yeah. How did you know that at that point something needed to change? What was the turning point there? I fitted, I was struggling to fit a size 50. Yeah, jacket. 50. That must have been a bit of a wake up moment for you. Yeah. Yeah. And so what what did you do when you realized that? What was yeah, your, well, I, yeah. I guess what I enjoyed the whole process of that actually. When you when I think back about it, rather than looking at it as a negative way and you think, oh, I was you're big and fat, I was earning a lot of money. I had a great lifestyle. As a young boy, I'd been very successful. So I look back at that and I think, well, I wouldn't want to change that either. And I loved it. Absolutely loved it. I mean, you were whining and dining and you were being invited out. So it was Vodafone. It was, I'll end up having mobile phone shops is really is what I had. So the Vodafone shops you see in the high streets now used to be mine in Scotland, all of them. And most of them are still there. Um, you know, so, you know, I enjoyed that whole, that whole process. And it was, it was, again, it was back to something we had, we had, 
the same passions that I was talking about earlier, I had in business, we managed to find people who were like us. They were, they were, they, they came, well, I always remember it was a company in, um, in London and was owned by um, two Asian guys. And they were very successful down there. And we sort of went, how did you manage to do this? How did you manage to do that? And because we were no threat to them, because they were in London and we were in Scotland, you know, they would share their ideas and things. Um, and, you know, what that does, that gave us the, the inspiration and the motivation to try new things. And we always competed with, with each other. Um, they sold out, um, you know, for a sum of money. And that made us think, mm, maybe there's, there's something in this. And eventually we, we, we sold out. Um, we were the first company, first mobile phone business um, in, in Scotland to, to, to sell out. So it sounds like you took your competitiveness from sport at a young age into business with you yeah. and used that to gain your success that you had in your business. Mm -hmm. I think it was more, if you look at it, like you were dogged and determined is what I am. I don't want to give in. Um, regardless of what it is, I don't want to give in. I think, I think, I think that is probably a trait. And there's a, a trait that probably most people who are involved in triathlon were, were, you know, we're, we're alpha, you know, people, here's what we are, we like to be, um, we've got egos, whether we like it or not, we're, you know, we're, we're high achievers, that's males and females, kids as well, we're all high achievers um, in general, um, and I think it's those things, it's just, it's, it's just the, the type of person that, 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 that I was, I mean, my brother has got, had same upbringing, same things as me, he, told me he, he went a different route, so, you know, and was at the same school, with the same teachers. So it's, it's obviously just something that inherently that I've got that, you know, that maybe a number of other people have got as well, but certainly I've taken what I learned in sport, took it to business. And it's the, it's the team spirit, camaraderie, trying to get other people to help you. You know, it's not all about you, so other people as well. And I don't mean that flippantly or that, you know, it, it has got substance and meaning for me. So you had your, you had your turning point and you lost six stone in six months. Yep. And you then moved to the Isle of Man. So I sold the business. So I was, I had, I was telling you, I was, I was 30. Something needed to change. I was trigger points. You're 30. I had, I had, I was chasing material goals is what I was doing. So I want to be, I want to have this type of car. I want to have bought this or bought that. So it was all material things. Material things don't bring you happiness. That's the bottom line. And billionaires will tell you the same thing. So what you're looking at then is you're going, well, if I don't want to be chasing this, what else, what else can I do? Things need to change. So we, uh, I think I was 30 or 31 when I'd sold the business. Um, I'd, for different tax reasons, things, I moved to Isle of Man, that's a tax haven. So I moved to Isle of Man. So I went to Isle of Man. And when I was there, I was there on my own. So the kids had just started the dollar and I didn't want to take them out and upset the whole thing. There was stability here. I didn't want to upset that stability. Um, and it's one of these ones where how I rationalized it was if somebody had offered you a job for, you know, hundreds of thousands of pounds a year, would you take it? And the answer was yes. I said, well, what I was doing moving to Isle of Man from, 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 a, from a tax position was doing the same thing. You're basically what you're doing is you're, you know, you're, 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 I viewed it as a job. Um, and I went along to what Isle of Man had, it had that, 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 Island Games, um, which I think Shetland and things have in, you know, uh, fairly soon. 
and they had this wonderful sporting facility. Anybody's ever been to the Isle of Man, you know what I mean. If you go to the Isle of Man and you go to Douglas, they've got this fantastic sporting facilities there um, that was way beyond what they should have had for that type of place at the time I was there. So I start going along there and I'm getting back into, you know, a bit more running and, and, and things. And there was a guy there, and I, for this day, I don't know what his name was, but I know he's a 400-meter international runner. Um, and he was taking a circuit class. And I was going along and doing all these different things. And he said, he handed me a leaflet. He said, uh, you fancy doing one of these? I had no idea what it was. Uh, and it was a triathlon in Ramsey, which is at the north part of, um, the, north part of uh, the Isle of Man. So I said, oh, I'll have a wee shot of that. I'll put my name down. I had no idea what it was. I just said I'd enter. I had no idea what it was. And I used, then I go back and I'm reading the thing. I go, this, is, this has got swimming in it. I've no swam since I was like 10 at school. What am I going to do? I've not got a bike. Christ, there's, there's, there's cycling in it. I, know, so I, had to go and, I went and bought a bike, an old Peugeot 2000 bike, a second-hand thing. Now, by the way, I just sold my business, right? And I'm buying so the, 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 the ethos things there. I still had, I had any amount of money, but I still went and bought a Peugeot 2000 second-hand bike, right? And those things will never change. So, um, and I'm trying to figure out what I'm going to do. So I went and go into a swimming pool, and I, I mean, I'm, I'm putting my hand and see this is, a, this is the odd, God's honest truth. I'm swimming, so it's one of these ones, so bear in mind, the floor that went up and down, right? So I've got the floor that's set so that my hands can touch the bottom. I'm swimming, but nobody knows my hands are on the bottom. So I'm swimming along, catch, touching the bottom of the water, the pool, and pulling myself through the water because everybody else is swimming past me. Um, that's maybe another funny moment for uh, in my, my, my sporting career. So anyway, this this event came along, and I went to the event. Um, I don't know if I'm jumping ahead, but I'll tell you about it anyway. So I get there, and there's these guys wearing what I thought was Freddie Mercury suits. There's guys wearing tight lycra suits with their balls hanging out and nipples out, and this is it's properly embarrassing. I've, I'm there with, you know, I'm trying to cover everything. Um, so I had no idea what my swim time was. Um, I put down a time, I had no idea what it was. So, and I'm, it was a 700, so it was a sprint, 750 meter swim. So I'm in the, the water and everybody else is getting out, right? So, and I'm absolutely burst. And everybody else is out, and I go, right, must be Matt, I must be, I'm, I'm definitely about there yet. Maybe I missed the boy tapping me in the head or whatever they do. I'm going to get up and get out. So I get up and go out, and the guy goes, where are you going? I said, I must be finished. He says, you've got another 350 metres to go. Right, I'm going, <laughs> so I am that, that guy that gets the, as I'm coming out of the water. You know, the janitors are cleaning things up. Everybody's disappeared. They're shamming the floor, and I'm still coming out of the water. Get in. I get my bike. I eventually catch a few people on the bike. Um, it makes me feel a wee bit better. They're probably in their, like, in their 60s, to be fair. And I'll never forget this on the run. Like, as long as I live, I'm on the run, and I'm thinking I'm running. A guy walking their dog with a yellow sylvester, because pumping it in a yellow sylvester on you know these big yellow cape things you get he walks past me with his dog i'm thinking i'm running i've never been so embarrassed in my life i get to the finish line and swore i'll never ever do anything like that again that's the most stupidest thing i've ever done and here we are now so that was my that was my very first event things and 
what go to the Isle of Man's done to me. Let's just talk about that event a wee bit more. So you thought that you'd finished the swim, you had three hundred and fifty meters still to go. Yes. But you still finished the swim. I finished the swim. You went out on the bike, you had a bike, you did the bike, you got yeah. onto the run, yeah. and the man oh, walked the past type, you. The walkie run thing that you do. But you still finished it. You I still, still finished it. it. Yeah. You didn't give in. I didn't give in. I'm not going to give in. There's people watching. Is that what stopped you giving in, or do you think there's something in you that stops you? No, nah, there's no way I'm going. To, I, listen, one of the key things, and it's one of the things that we've not really maybe skipped over some of the things. I do these things as a challenge, genuinely. So fencing and things was a challenge. I enter events, it's a challenge. Um, you know, some other things we'll talk about. Starting my own business, it was a challenge. And a challenge, something to me, should be something you don't know if you can do or not. That's a challenge. A challenge isn't something that I can, you know, you know you can definitely do. That, that's not a challenge. That's you, you know you can do it. You want to test yourself. Um, and that's what that really was about. I, Entered into something I didn't was and enjoyed the process. I did learn to swim better. I hadn't swam for years, so I did learn to swim. Um, I, you know, I was quite good on the bike. To be fair, I caught a lot of people up on the bike, so I wasn't the last across the finish line. The run, I had no idea how to run off a bike, so that was I probably took off far too fast and just completely exploded. You know, five hundred meters around the corner, away from anybody seeing me. Um, but it's just a challenge. You're just trying to set yourself wee challenges and wee goals and see if you can complete them. That's, I still do that. And you swore blind that you'd never do a triathlon again. Never do it again. I got the plane home the, on the Monday. That's, this is what happened. I got off the plane at Glasgow Airport. There's some other wee shite there again handing out leaflets, right? Handing me a leaflet saying Erskine Sprint. I went, fine, you know what it was? You know, guys who remember my age who remember going to Glasgow Airport, they used to have these, um, where John Menzies was, when you go to the new, the new bit, there was used to be these glass cubes and they used to have these wee leaflet dispensers on them. There was a guy there handing out plumbing leaflets for Erskine Sprint. So I grabbed the leaflet, went home and entered it. And here we do. are. And here we are. Like the people. You like the people? It was the people. Gen hand on heart, it was the people. So it wasn't the process, it was the people. I enjoyed the process, but I liked the people. At the time when I was getting involved in it, it was it was people with, you know, um, Ron Hill tops and tracksters. That's what it was. It wasn't a pointy helmets and go and you know, buying speed and it was it just wasn't like that. It was like going to a typical cross country event. Maybe some cross country events are still like well, the ones that I've been to, you know, a while back now, but it was still the same typey thing. You know, it was camaraderie, but I mean there was people there who were very, very good. But you know, everyone was understated. That's what I liked. Um, and maybe because I came from being a business that was quite ostentatious at the time, around people that were chasing material things, and I didn't like that anymore. Maybe I just realized that, you know, it isn't, doesn't have to all be about, you know, fast cars and flash things. Life's, you know, a wee bit more than that. And I resonated with the people. So you like the people. It was quite, ref it sounds like it was quite refreshing for you, like a different, a bit of a different scene. Yeah. Different people. Yeah. So you got the bug, you ended up doing 28 events in one year, which is crazy. And I was racing yeah. every weekend, every weekend, somewhere in Scotland or Britain, I would be, I'd be racing um, somewhere, whether it was a triathlon, aquathlon, duathlon, you know, a triathlon on the Sunday and a duathlon on the Saturday or, or whatever it happened to be, there'd be, I'd be doing, 
I'd be doing something. And I absolutely loved it. And again, it's back to that. It was the people. And at the, at the time, I guess, I was starting to lose weight, you know, a, a lot quicker. So although I lost weight fast, you know, you know, I was 20-odd stone is what I was, and I got down to 14 um, in six months. So that's from a weight point of view, just to give you a perspective on that. Um, and I wasn't, I wasn't that heavy for that long, but it felt like an eternity to me. Um, and I just, I guess then you started realizing that it was all new to me. All of a sudden I can do all these things I can do. I can go for long cycles. I can run, I can do cross country. I can race people and I'm beating people who are half my age. And I just love that whole thing, you know, Um, more challenges. You were just always challenging yourself. yeah, Yeah. And so in 2002, you took that challenge a step further and decided to step up to Ironman distance. Yes. Had you been planning to do that or was that just a sporadic, let's have a new challenge? It was having a new challenge, but I guess what it was, um, I was shite at all the other distances. So I thought, I'll see if I can win that one, it's a bit longer. Um, that's probably, and to be fair, there's probably a bit of truth in that if we're all, if we're all honest. Now, what, what happened is there was two people who inspired me to, you know, and for that distance, um, um, Andy Abacan was one, he did Lanzarote Ironman and I loved the process he was going through. It was that whole training and he was so excited and nervous. He wasn't sure what was going to go on. And I always remember going with, with John Lunn um, as a team of us went. I'm not sure if Alan um, was, was there or not. Um, I know uh, Sandra and you know a group of people were there down to watch John Lunn doing the first Ironman distance race in the UK, which is called The Longest Day. And that whole process of the training that John had done, watching him there, the nerves that he had. I mean, he was, you know, John before a race, he gets really, really nervous. I just find that whole thing infectious. You know, I'm going, I want to be, I want to try that. I mean, he's absolutely beside himself with nerves, but he did it and he finished. I want to see if I can do the same thing. And it just so happened that you know, at the time, Iron Man as a brand was starting to become, it wasn't huge, but it was starting to become more of a, a kind of um, a European thing. You'd heard that a wee bit more in Europe, but there wasn't that many events. Um, and what I did was, I'd, I said I'm going to do it. So I'd, if I'm going to do something, I tell people, right? So I say, I'm doing Iron Man, uh, Iron Man Florida. I hardly entered it, right? I'm doing Iron Man Florida. So then I go and try to enter, it's full. I can't get in. I said, no, but I've told everybody I'm doing Ironman Florida. I need. So I sent them an email saying, I'm really sorry, but I've booked my flights. I've booked my flights and my wife is coming with me. I can't tell my wife I'm coming to this event unless I get an entry. Can you please give me an entry? And they gave me an entry. Um, so that was the, the whole story behind, behind uh, uh, actually getting there. I, I didn't have the, the entry in the first place. And then, then lo and behold, I was getting closer and closer and closer and closer. And the process of it, it's just a wonderful, and those who have done these things for the first time, and by the way, it could be a, an Ironman, it could be a sprint event, world championships, any of these things, age group things. When you go for the very, very first time, you know what I'm talking about. You're absolutely bricking it. But you'll still love it all at the same time. It's so strange. And do you think you were properly prepared for that event? Did you get there, get through okay? It was an enjoyable experience or? Yeah. I, was, yeah? I did, I did. Um, um, 
I got a structure is what I got, and I think that's something that's very important. A lot of a lot of guys in the the the, the club guys and girls, I'm just talking about guys generic, generic, generically here, is that where the it's back to it's a it's a cliche thing. If you if you plan, you, if you fail to plan, you plan to fail, which is so true. If you've got an outline and you've got a plan and you try and you can stick to it, then there's a good chance you'll do quite well. You might not get to the very top where you want it to be because the plan then needs to start being a bit more detailed. But I had a structure and I followed a plan. Um, and, you know, that definitely made um, a difference to me. And it's something that's probably, in hindsight, it's probably one of the reasons that I started to get involved in a lot more coaching and other things because I wanted to get better. I wanted to understand what is coaching. How can I do? Because I've, I've always been limited time. So I'm doing, my fastest Ironman is 10 hours, 15, I think it was, at Switzerland. Um, and, you know, I had my nemesis, Alan, chasing me down. So that, that in itself gave you some motivation. But we followed a very strict plan for that. We didn't skip a session. And, and if you look back, that is something that certainly for me, if you, if you follow a plan, you stick to that process, then you can achieve, you know, some fairly surprising things. The bit that I didn't expect in Florida was it's feckin' roasting and a wee fat white boy from Scotland doesn't do well in the heat. I was a very, I was a sweaty blob. Let you me didn't tell you. Expect that. Oh my god, I didn't expect it to be as hot as it was. However, the bit that I wasn't expecting was um, the night before it. We're in a we've we rented a, an apartment overlooking the the the, the Gulf of um, Mexico. Um, Water's pancake flat, and I'm, you know, that's the first time I actually shaved my legs. There's another first Ironman Florida. I thought I felt really strange and weird when I went to the water. My wetsuit came on really easily, but I cut a wee bit of my leg, as you do when you're shaving your legs. And I'm looking into the sea, and I'm going nuts to Jillian. I'm going, Jillian, Jillian, come here and see, come here and see. What's this? What's this? She's going, what is it now? Can you just calm down? What's this? What's this in the water? It was a shark in the water. Seriously, a shark really close in. And I, by that point, I was absolutely freaking on the day. I've cut my leg, so it's going to get me. The blood's going to come down. I've watched Jaws. I've seen what happens. And the whole time I'm swimming, I'm hearing a cello. All I can hear is... That's all I can hear, seriously. I wouldn't go at the... I deliberately swam in the middle of the swim. I would never do that. I've never done it since... Um, I swam in the middle in case a shark came again because I knew this fed for the outside in. Oh, uh, God, the things you did. Eh? I wasn't you nervous were, or anything. Eh? You were really convinced the shark was going to get It was going to get me, but it never, and I did fine. Were you quite pleased when you managed to get out of the swim without being attacked by a shark? I was delirious, I can tell you. So since that traumatic experience with the shark, almost traumatic experience with the yeah. shark, you've done a further... Over thirty Ironman races. Yeah, but I've done of full Ironman events. It's high twenties Ironman branded races with seventy point fees and things. It's probably well over thirty actually. Do you still find them as exciting and as challenging as you did on that first event? If I'm honest, no. If I'm honest, um, I'm finding just now maybe 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 the whole lockdown things. Maybe I find it quite different. I've got different challenges now. I'm looking at looking at different things. Um, I find that not training with other people just now, and it's just life. It's we work and other things as well. I'm I'm missing a lot of that. 
Um, so do I find, do I find um, Ironman a challenge? No, I don't find it the same challenge. However, if I said that I wanted to go through a process to qualify for Hawaii or try and get to Hawaii or something like that, and, you know, or if it's a goal like that, it's to beat someday or something, then I think my mojo for that type of event would come back. Um, what I have found is that, and it's important to do this, is that I'm not, I'm never demotivated, but no, I'm not demotivated by that because I mean, I've seen it coming and I found other things. So I do open five, which those who know is kind of winter off, off-road things where you're doing orienteering, running five hours of knocking your pan and really hard work. I found those. I'm doing a lot more ultra run, trail runs and point-to-point -point type things. So it's not that I'm, um, I'm just finding new challenges is, is really what it is. Um, you know, we'll come on to maybe one of the, one of the ones I'm doing towards the end, but um, it's, you need to find challenges if you want to rise to try and be the best you can be. So you're just kind of switching up, keeping it fresh, keeping it exciting and shifting your goals slightly to something a wee bit different. Yeah, just, just shifting things. Some of it's slightly different. Some of it's because of time. I just, I, I slowed blind it when I slowed my business when I get back to where I am with business and here I am back to where I am in the business. It's because I love it, I suppose. Um, I, I can't commit the hours and things to training that I would like to. Um, and, you know, I know that I'm going to be, if I want to cross a finish line of an Ironman for me, I can train for between eight and 12 hours a week and I know I can finish in a reasonable time. Um, I don't know if I just want to do that. I, I, I would rather train hard to do as, as, as best as best I can. Um, I know if I'm if I just do a single discipline or two disciplines, then I could I could probably do quite well. So it's about just re readjusting those goals. And even though they don't excite you as much anymore, looking back, do you have a favourite Ironman branded race? Can be just as a. I mean, there's, there's been a, there's been a few races. Switzerland is one, you know, where you know I, I could go through a few for 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 different reasons. Where it's been it's been a race, and that race has been against Alan. You know, there's been it was your point to point, your shoulder to shoulder. You're doing different things. Those were great r races for us as individuals, um, or as you know, as two people. But when I look at going to Ten Bay, going to other things, when you took a team of people, Switzerland, I'm convincing people enter come along, enjoy the journey, enjoy the experience, sharing all of this. And I get more from that than the individual, you know, the, the individual um, uh, type of races. So I would certainly say Tenby as a race venue. I've done it twice, three times. I can't remember how many times I've done it now. Um, it's just the crowds, the course is tough. But, you know, you know, Gillian Stokes, is, I, I know, has been there. Greg, Craig, and Craig, I think it's the last time I beat Craig, was it that Ironman? Um, the last time it will ever happen. I'm never going to beat Greg again either because he's like half the size he used to be and things as well. His journey's not dissimilar to mine. Um, Fraser was there. You know, you know, Alistair Abbott's been a different one. Jeremy Stokes has been at some, you know, you know, just that whole team spirit thing. So I would say Kenby. And it's because people can get there. You can jump in the car and you can get there. I, I, I like that. So it's open to everybody. When you start going abroad, it becomes a lot harder. You know, so Kenby for me is a, it's a world-class event. It's a shame about the weather sometimes, but it's a world-class event. It's absolutely incredible. I want to move on slightly. Yep. And 
I'd like some advice from you. Oh, that's a disaster. I'm waiting to Okay. <laughs> what is your top piece of advice for someone potentially considering giving triathlon a go? Be prepared for it to change your life if you get hooked because it's a lifestyle. Triathlon is a lifestyle. That is what it is. There's no question of what triathlon does. It changes how you how you do things. It changes your focus. You you know, you, you you do swim, you do bike, you do run, you share that with other people. It just becomes a passion and a lifestyle. So be prepared for that. And I mean that in a positive way, not in a negative way. So I would certainly say be prepared for that. But enjoy the process. And in particularly the first event, enter an event. Don't be frightened from it. Enter the event. Tell your pals. Tell people you're doing it. Um, and hopefully get somebody else to go with you of a similar ability. So if it's their first time, get them to come along for their first time and share it with you. Um, is is what I would is what I would uh, say to people. Um, it's one of the things that, that we do where, you know, the UCAN sport side of things that we do. One of the things that we we do with them. The, the, the ethos behind that was to try and take triathlon into a corporate environment as a tool to get people to to work together to understand that, you know, a, 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 that someone who's sitting in the corner who you never engage with. Right, because you haven't got any 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 similarities with them, you know, get them involved in something. And we, the first one we did, those who've been around me for a wee while, you know, we did one with, with Scottish Sea Farms, and they raised a fortune, they raised over a hundred thousand pounds from that event. That was a byproduct from the success of the event. Um, but the number of people, I, I always remember going in, and we'll, we'll call her Mrs. McGlumferty, right? And Mr. McGonferty. We've got Mrs. McGonferty sitting in the corner like this. I'm not swimming. You're not getting me to do this. This whole thing's a lot of rubbish. It's shouldn't about me to do this corporate thing anyway. I'm not doing it. And Mr. McGonferty's going, and I'm not doing it either. We're not doing this. We're getting forced to do this. And I'm saying, well, Betty across there, she's actually said she's doing it. Yeah. Betty that sits in the corner that does the typing and stuff. Yeah, she's doing it. She's entering the relay team. Oh, so I could do a relay team. Yeah, you can do it. This is about participation. This is about getting people active. Um, and it was incredible. The bit that was most rewarding for me was seeing people who'd never done sport since they were in high school. And I mean, they're in their 40s and 50s, had never done any form of physical activity until you gave them a goal. You gave them a challenge, a realistic challenge, a challenge that took away any barriers and one of the things that they did say, and this is something that people at Organised Events should remember, is that we asked them what the barrier was. Why do you not want to do this? I don't want people to see me wearing what I'm wearing. I don't, I'm not coming out of a swimming pool running about here with some of these things. And that was the biggest barrier for the men. Not, I thought it'd be the females. It was the men. They're going, I don't, I'm embarrassed. About, and I feel like what they were saying, as I'm embarrassed about my body, I'm embarrassed the way I look, but I want to do something about it, but I don't want to do that in public, but running about with my breasts bouncing about, my belly going all over the place. I don't want to do that. So what we'll do is we'll have privacy tents. And if you want to come, you know, we can have a T-shirt beside the pool. You can go into the privacy tent or you can go to the changing rooms. It's not a problem if you want to do that. That's that's fine. And we did that. And it was that was, you know, in all the events that we that we that we um that we put on, some of them are not as big as that now, but the events we do put on, there's always privacy tents and things there. Because Everybody doesn't like us. Everybody doesn't want to run out there and be comfortable with what they're doing. 
people aren't like that. So you should understand what the barriers are, break them down and get people being active, you know? And I think you're totally right. Once you overcome that barrier, triathlon is a lifestyle and it's a bug and it's infectious. Still crap, still trying to be something. You obviously got the triathlon bug. Yeah. Part of this project and part of the podcast is showing people the variety of routes that sport can lead you down, the benefits that sport can bring you, having an active lifestyle. Where do you think you would be without sport? And how do you think sport has benefited you in your life? That's a very long I, I think I think it's, it's, it's a hard one to see where would, where would I be. Where you've got to remember, if you think about what we're saying earlier, a size 50 jacket, um, you know, so I put weight on with some aplomb. I mean, I, I, I knew how to party. So that passion and things that I put into um, sport and business, I was putting into partying. Um, there's only so long a body can handle that. So, you know, if I was going at the rate I was going, I don't know, could have been a heart attack. You might, you know, I might not be here. I don't know. But it was certainly very unhealthy what I was doing. I was loving it, but something had to change. So what I would say is what sport does, certainly for me, if I go back to school, it's, you know, I resonate with the PE teachers. Um, you know, you know they, they got me to, to believe in myself probably. Um, you know, I was, I was pretty good at all sports and I was only good at all sports is because, because of the teachers who were teaching me. I wasn't good at it naturally. They, they, they took the time because I took the time to go to the sessions um, and you listened and you, you behaved yourself when I went to PE. So I would certainly say that, you know, sport teaches you to win. It teaches you to work hard. And if you work hard, regardless of what it is, and it's a structured thing, then you can achieve great things. And that's the only difference than what I'm teaching the kids when they go to school or university. You know, stick in, guys, because you only get one chance at that bit. Um, you know, without being a, a grand, I think, but it's, it's, it's so true. You know, it's, it's, it is harder out there now. And I do think sport, it gives you balance to your life if you can, and this is non, this is, this is not sport as a profession. So I'm not talking about elite sport. I can have a separate conversation with that in its entirety. This is not elite sport. This is people who've got jobs and livelihoods and sport is the release. It's the, the way of getting away from the daily grind. There's one thing I love about the club. I don't know what probably 90% of the members do for a living. And I don't want to know because I don't need to know. Our common bond we've got is through the sport that we're interested in. So it's not about, you know, I've got this business or that business or I'm a multimillionaire and I've got this. It's not about that. That's not why we're all together. It's not why the people are on this podcast. It's not why they're there. It's not why they're listening either. You know? I digress. And so you've talked about um, kind of your your goals shifting. You're looking at different challenges. This past year has been a very crazy time for everyone. Mm -hmm. And so have you got any events in the calendar with your new challenges? Have you got anything you're looking forward to? Okay, I'll tell you. Okay, I've got what I've got here we go. So for, for the guy it's for, for the guy that's lost his mojo on Ironman, here you go. So this year I've only got I had Ironmans and things booked, but everything's been pushed away. It's just one of those things. It's unfortunate, but it's just the way it is. Um because I was quite enjoying the process. Alistair uh, Abbott was doing court. The two of us were going to court and we were enjoying that whole process. And it's a shame that's not happening this year. 
But this year I've got lakes in a day, which those who know ultra running, that's over all the high peaks in the Lake District. So um, Helvelin, Scafield, Pike, all these things. So it's 50 miles um, ultra run. So I'll be, I did that a few years ago. So I'm trying to go back and do that justice because I got it wrong the last time. Learned a lot how to do things now. Um, so I've got that. Then next year, I've got, sorry, I've got Scurry Events. Um, Gillian, Stokes, myself, Craig and Greg are doing um, a relay from Taybridge to the centre of Edinburgh. So it's a hundred and something other miles as a relay event. Um, so that's going to be fun because it's, I thought it was just you run a marathon and that's it, but it's not. It's 11 and 12 Ks each and then the next person goes. So it's basically doing 12 K flat out four times. So I'm not looking forward to that now. And next year I've got Cape Wrath Ultra. I foolishly entered that event. Um, so that's going from um, Fort William to Cape Wrath, 400 kilometers running, self-navigation type thing. So you'll probably see me in Ireland. You'll see this thing going about. You've no idea where I am because those who know me know I have no idea how to point a compass. I think it should tell the time. So I've got Cape Wrath Ultra. I've got Ironman Cork. I've got Ironman Hamburg. Uh, and I've got... I've got something else as well. I can't think what it is. And that's you having lost your Iron Man mojo. Yeah. I know it'll come back. That's why you just keep them going. The, the mojo will come back. It'll be fine. You heard it here first, everyone. The mojo will come back. It'll come back. Not only do you have this incredible sporting journey, incredible business journey, but you are also a coach. And you, as you've mentioned, have helped numerous different people achieve their own goals, push themselves, mm -hmm. get themselves along to events. How did you first get into coaching? You mentioned that you wanted to improve yourself. Was that the sole reason why you got into it? No, I think I think what it was was back to. It's hard to I can't I honestly I honestly can't remember when I remember going to my level one and the guys who were there were some of the guys who had been on the Commonwealth Games program, and um, so Stephen, Kevin Clark, not Stephen Clark, Kevin Clark. Those who can think back to the way Kevin was a very, very talented athlete. I remember being on on a course. So I think what it was was triathlon Scotland at the time had just probably been given some sport was getting a bit better of a structure and they were looking for coaches and there was level ones and things. The structure before wasn't wasn't like it is now. Um, so I think it was just, to, you know, there probably been another leaflet I'd been putting my hand again um, at some event and I went, oh, I'll have some of that. Um, but I think that's what it would have been. But it was more... I wanted to help to get juniors involved in the club. And again, I said, we'll come on to that in another podcast. It doesn't have to be for here, but I had a real passion to get kids involved in triathlon, a real passion for it. Um, I just thought it was a male-dominated sport. There wasn't as many females in it. We've sorted that, and there wasn't any kids in it. Um, you had Leslie Patterson, who's obviously who's been on, or Leslie Marshall, who's been on here. She was the only, she was the sole member. Um and you know, there's a few people in the in the committee at the time, Alan Finley and, and, and things as well, where we'd a passion to get kids involved in the sport. Um, you know, so that I think that's probably where the real the real hunger came from. Um, and then I I just enjoyed seeing people doing things I never thought they could do. I just loved it. You know, you, people come along to sessions. I always remember going to I we went to a race in Ireland, John Smith, Colin Adam. Um, you know, a, a whole heap of others uh, went across there. And I'm there, this is 
you know, I'd organise everybody to go. We took one of the people carrier things I had. We'd organise somebody to stay and things. And um, I got there. I didn't realise that some of them had never done an event before. Now, I'm looking up to these guys. So, because we're terrified to tow a start line. Nerves just got the better of them. And I never realised that I was the catalyst to get them to actually go on the start line to enter and do the event. And I never knew that until after the event. I never knew. They'd never done an event. They've done cycling races and all these things, but they hadn't actually done uh, a standard distance triathlon. And is that what made you decide to kind of take it further and get more qualified? Yeah, I think it was just, a, it was, I guess when you do, you do level one, then you the natural progression, you go to level two, or, or do level two, can I do level three? I, I, can't, I can't afford the time to do level three. What's the alternative? I'll do an Ironman one because the, the, the foundation of that is not dissimilar to what level three is, those who have done level three. Um, so, and it's about imparting that knowledge and things to other people to try and get them to tour. Ultimately, for me, to get them to tour start line, that's actually why I do it. I want people to enjoy the sport of triathlon um, and all its guises, whether that's duathlon, triathlon, sprint, novice, I don't care what it is. Enter a relay, it doesn't matter. You know, I'm not hung up on what it has to be. Do you think um, there is any further progression that you'll do with your coaching? I think there's a point where um, maybe we work on things just now. I'd find it difficult to go and do something else. If I was semi-retired or retired, then I dare say I would go into it a little bit, maybe a wee bit more passion in some areas and probably some of the announcing things as well, maybe just to keep myself occupied rather than to earn a living. Um, I'd just be, you know, as a, as a, as a motivation. Um, but certainly, I would certainly like to um, inspire and, and motivate people and coach them as well to do things they've never done before. The, the joy that you see with people when they cross the line of a half Ironman or an Ironman event or a long distance event, it's no different to what, you know, the sprints and things. But the joy that they cannot believe they've just done what they've done. They can't believe it. The, the, when they break it down or they looked at it, it was just this how many, I can't keep going for 14, 15, 16, 17 I can't do it, and you break things down into bite-sized chunks and you get them to do the training, the building blocks, and put the things in place and all of a sudden, you know, they're there on the start line and it all becomes real and they finish it and the, it's that whole, it's the journey that I love, it's not the event, it's, that's a byproduct of everything and I know it's a cliche in our sport that it's, you know, it's that's just the picnic and the, the things going around. It's, but it's true. The process is the, the enjoyable bit, you know? And you mentioned their announcing. Uh-huh. It's almost guaranteed that if you go to an event in Scotland that, like, every second or every third one you go to, it's going to be my, you on the microphone. I'm years listening to me talking the same rubbish all the time. How exactly did that come about? How Taking myself that- out of my comfort zone and a challenge. It's exactly how it came about. Well, it was another challenge. Well, it was a, it was our own events, so it's still in tri club events. We were trying to figure out how can we make the events more uh, professional. Um, we haven't got music, um, and we haven't got an announcer. That's ridiculous. You know, and we're all kind of agreed in the committee at the time. That's ridiculous. The most important thing to remember, the most important thing to someone doing an event, is their name. That's your. That's the most important thing. They want to hear their name. At some point during that event, I want to try. And even though the biggest one I did was the Ironman one in Edinburgh as a big event, I don't want to miss anybody. I want to make sure I've, got, I've mentioned whether it's at the swim. I have a tendency to remember who the people are. 
at the swim or the transition or on the bike or coming over, I want to make sure I get their name because it's important to them. So um, that's how it came about, really. It was just a, one of the events, Christ knows how long ago, you know, we said that we should have music and things. And I said, well, I'll do that. You know, and I probably on going nervous as anything beforehand, but it seems to have worked out in the end. The next set of questions that I have for you have actually been sent in by people who are listening. So let's crack on with those. Did you end up eating the banana on the run for sustenance <laughs> in your white short story? Uh, I got I got a fresh new one. It was it was a slushy mess by that point. Um, to be fair, to be fair, until I had a shower, I was eating it for I was eating it for quite a while afterwards actually, because it's one of these things you keep rubbing your hands on your shorts, you know, your yeah. So. Delightful. Mm. How do you feel mentally and emotionally on the lead up to an Ironman race and on the start line? Um, I get I, I start getting hyped. If, if I know I've trained well for it, I get hyped. I kind of I'm, I'm you know I'm not going to pretend. Like Cork, two whenever it was, I knew I knew I'd done quite a lot of training for that. I knew I was in good nick. Um, I think I got up and Jules will tell me I got up to second or third on the bike. So, and I never knew that because of the way the race went, it landed up no being a swim. And I did well on the run. I was really pleased how my event went. So when you go to races like that, I don't start making excuses. It's something you, my traffic's were terrible. I'd, oh, I've got a wee niggle or this. I had no excuses. I got there. I felt great. Um, I think back to some of the other ones, other races that I've done well in with some good times. You know, I'm not kidding myself. When I'm there and I want to do well. I'm not going to pretend and I'll tell so folk that. I, I remember... Remember, historically, you always run away from it, but I'm not like that now. Um, I'll say, if I think I'm going to do well, I'm going to do well, and I'm going to beat you, and I'm not frightened of saying it. And if that means I'm nowhere near them, I don't care. At least I've set my stall out. You know, It might buckle them, you see. They might buckle under the pressure. That's even better. See, there's psychology going on there. There, there really is. I like uh, it. Uh. Do you think triathlon has made you a better businessman, and why? Hmm. Uh. Well, what I would say is it's has it made me a better businessman. It's been a release from the pressures and tensions are related and associated with business. So from that point of view, yes, because it gives you perspective. So yes. And yes, because it does, you do learn to win and lose. And I've had businesses, unfortunately, that haven't worked and I've lost a lot of money because of that. But you brush yourself down, I get myself on and I move on. And sports give me, or triathlons give me that release. And the beauty about it is back to that thing. I mean, I've had businesses that, that I went through some pretty tough times, you know, in the in the early 2000s. Um, but nobody needed to know. Those who knew, knew, and they didn't ask questions, they didn't care, or they cared, but they knew just that's not what he's here for. He's here to get away from all of that. So I'll probably say triathlon has made me a better, yeah, a better business person, yeah. And are you able to coach yourself for your races or do you get someone to coach you? Um, historically, um, I would, so John Lund and going back to me um, would have given me some outlines and some programs. So where the races that I'll have done well in, I'll have had somebody, and the word is accountable. That is the word. Now I can be accountable if I have set myself out a challenge to beat somebody or race somebody or, or whatever, then, I've got the self-discipline to go, I know I need to train hard for this. I can do that on my own. I don't, I, I don't need somebody to, to, um, to be there to do that. And that's the beauty about the, the, the club, actually. 
all the sessions that we've got, you can you uh, can get you know can get you to to be a champion at sprint, middle distance, you know, super sprint, relays, Ironman. There's something there for everybody. It's just whether you want to dip in and dip out of them. And do you think accountability partners is a big part of the training process? Yeah. Spectators have just been banned from the Olympic Games uh-huh. and World Triathlon have decided to include the Olympics in the points for the year. What are your thoughts on this? First of all, first of all, on 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 just the Olympics as it and it's it's on its on its own, then I think we should be very thankful that they've managed to actually be able to put Olympics on, and the athletes themselves. I hope that they they get a, a good enough experience from what's there, with no spectators and things being there. Then you've got to feel. I mean, from a from a from a viewer here looking at it, the only difference it's going to make to us is we're not going to see an opening and closing ceremony. That's actually the only difference because TV is so clever now. But can you imagine some of these athletes have trained all their like you've seen clicking Trath and you look at Taylor Spivey and people like that who are not going to get to go, the people who have taken their place or got who have got there, the journey they've been on, all, all they're like all different disciplines in sport, and they don't get an audience to see them crossing the finish line or winning that medal or oh man that must be it must be horrible it must be i just i, I hope they don't feel empty i hope that i hope the governing bodies and things can do something to make it when either there or when they come back they really get a sense of a sense of achievement when they come back but also mentally but what you need you need you need consistency as one and that's what i like now about I've been very fortunate, touch wood. I've never had any real serious injuries. I've had niggles in my back and sciatica or broken legs or whatever, but there, that's just, it's never been, you know, an on, a, long, a long-term thing. Um, maybe some of them are there that you just ignore and you just go on with it um, as you get older. So I've, I've been fortunate um, from that, but um, I've just, some of it's just tenacity is really what it is. I do, I do like having training partners, I mean, for example, the ultra runs I do, I do a lot of training with Gillian Stokes now, and it's just because of the way time works, um, and you know that that really works. That really works for me. I've got a training partner, and the types of runs that 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 we do, um, we wouldn't do them. I wouldn't do them on my own. When I had a big long run at the weekend with Greg and Craig, my two boys, um, and you know it was twenty odd miles in the Pentlands. It was a Thursday night. I fancy doing a run. You want to come with us? How far are you going? Twenty miles. I okay, I'll come then. I find that incredible. You can actually say yes to that at a stupid age. I had no idea. I had no idea where we were going. And then I saw the map and I thought, "Geez, what have I done now?" Were you in charge of the directions? I had nothing to do with the directions. Okay, that that's good. The only thing that happened with that is Craig went too far ahead at one point, thankfully, and he took a wrong turn because the turn was supposed to be the top of one of the peaks, and he missed it. So we decided to go downhill rather than up. So I felt fantastic. That was a that was a a good navigational error by him. That does sound like a very good navigational error. So I've got two more questions for you. That normal Olympic experience audience isn't going to be there. There are people who operate. These are profe- what you've got to remember. They're professional athletes. They've trained all their life for this, and what they want to do is beat whoever's there. They're racers. That's why they're there, or whether it's a skill or a discipline. So, and they have known for a while that there's not going to be people there. So. 
I, don't, I think there might be, it might actually, if you think about it, there might be some people who buckle under the pressure of an audience and, the, and occasion. You might just find this that has the opposite effect. The people who perform well in the big occasions, because it's not as big an occasion as in the spectacle is not as big, they might find that they can't raise their game, but somebody that somebody else can really raise their game because the nerves doesn't have to be a part of it because it does feel like a normal day to them. So there's, there's, it can work both ways. Um, I just do feel for the, for the whole Olympic movement, to be honest with you. Um, you know, the, the, the time, the effort, and the money, the heartache and things that everybody's gone through to get that, you know, to happen. And by the way, don't, I mean, it's, I know it's a couple of weeks away, but there's, there's still time for something still to happen. I mean, Japan is in a state of emergency and a lot of people there do not want this event on, you know? Um, my final question is, who do you think is going to win the tour this year? The tour? <laughs> oh, there's only one person going to win the, win, win the, win the, win the, win the tour, and that's podcast. It's who's going to win. There's no if, buts, or ands about that. Um, the one for us is, is, is certainly for me, for a sports, and it is genuinely a sports fan, is, is Cavendish. I mean, you just want to see him, preferably on the Champs-Élysées, just managing to do it. That would be just, to beat that record, Eddie Merckx, on the Champs-Élysées, whoa, that would just be absolutely fantastic. I mean, unfortunately, the, the overall victory now, it's in the five minutes behind, there's no way. That's gulfs apart. That's hours in an Ironman. That's, that's the difference. It's so vast. But Mark Cavendish is the absolute story of um, of the tour. I mean, if you think where he came from and where he is now, I mean, all the things we've been talking about, belief, you know, being down, all of that, you know, coaching, you know, believing in himself, get, changing to the corner equip step to, to, to be around people that believed in him and they were about him to get him to where he wanted to be. Um, it's absolutely incredible. And I would encourage you, there's, a, there's a, a podcast called No Passion, No Passion, No Point, it's called it's Eddie Hearn that does them. Um, Mark Cavendish does a, an interview on there. It's, it was only a week ago, two weeks ago. It's worth listening to because um, his drive and motivators, they ask him the question, what were your motivators in the early days? And he was brash and arrogant and I'm going to be the best in the world. And what he is now is not like that. He's not about that. He's got different goals and you know that drive him. So as you get older, you, you have got different motivations and, and things to get you across the finish line. It's worth listening to. In fact, all of them are worth listening to, actually. First of all, a massive thank you to Graham for taking the time to share his very own sporting roots with us. I think Graham has a very inspirational journey and the way that he continues to inspire so many people around him is amazing to see. Graham's journey from competitive sport into business, taking all those lessons into business with him and then coming back to sport is really lovely to hear. And hopefully he's inspired some of you too. Like Graham said, if you're needing some inspiration, get yourself entered into an event and then you've got a goal to train towards. Secondly, a massive thank you to all of you who are listening. I hope you're enjoying today's episode and all of our other episodes too. If you are enjoying them, then please do leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. It goes a really long way to support us. If you want to stay up to date, you can follow us on Instagram to find out all about upcoming guests. 
And we will be back next week with a super exciting guest. She is a three-time Olympian and Scottish superstar, but you'll have to tune in next week to find out whose sporting roots we are sharing next. <laughs>